Uh, we're finishing the book of Haggai tonight. We've got chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. It's going to be focused on Zerubbabel. Uh, I'll read it to you here. Uh, there's a couple questions. It, it's, uh, it's pretty clear what it's talking about. The Lord is going to use Zerubbabel for a purpose that he's put him in place for. The question is going to be, when is this taking place? Is it immediate? Is it eschatological? Is he working in a genealogical line through him, or is he working in his position? And a lot of that stuff we can look at and talk about and maybe make some choices as as we go through here. Uh, Again, I'll refer to the chart on page one. We've looked at it several times. The date of this is, again, December 18th, 520 B.C., it's the same date as the previous message. This is the fourth. This is the fourth message of Haggai. In here, Haggai presents four messages. The first message uh, was build the temple. The second message was don't be discouraged. I know it doesn't look like much in your eyes, but you're doing a big deal. The third message we looked at last week was on this date also. It was telling them, okay, we're, we're turning a corner here. You've, you've been obedient. Now blessing is coming. And so with that in mind, as we read this, understand the third message was blessing. The first message was get the temple done. The second message was don't be discouraged because it doesn't look like much. Just keep going. The third message was you're going to be blessed. And he's talking to Judah the province of Judah, which is going to become a nation. And and, and the people don't understand this yet, but God's rebuilding the nation he was sent into captivity. So they're going to be blessed. And now comes this fourth message. And it's important to understand that the, the third message was blessing because as you read this, well, here it is, the fourth message. Same day as the third message, but this is aimed right towards Zerubbabel. Chapter 2, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month, December 18th, 520. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and and their drivers Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Okay? Verse 23, On that day, declares the Lord, declares the Lord Almighty, or Yahweh Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shatiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So that's the message. And important in verses, verse 23 is the fact that he says, uh, calls Zerubbabel his servant, says you're like a signet ring, and I have chosen you. So servant, signet ring, and chosen. But it just, it, 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 he makes that statement, but, but now we've got to say, well, what does it mean? I've, I've, you're my servant, Zerubbabel. You're like a signet ring. I've chosen you. And what does that mean? We, 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 we're, I, are we supposed to know what that means? And we can make some speculation. Uh, a couple things about this, and I'll point it out as we go through here. Uh, in verse 21, or verse 20, he says, verse 21, tells Zerubbabel, I'm reading the NIV right now out of my Bible. We'll go to the notes in a moment. 
Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn the royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. Uh, is, it, is it in there? You know, I don't see it. Let's go, boy. See, if you look on the first page of the notes, because I was looking at the... Uh, yeah. Uh, the English Standard Version, chapter 2, verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, say, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And this is possibly, this is one of the decisions we have to make, as, and we'll come back and talk about it. He says there, translating the English Standard, I am about to. Or in the NIV, God says, I will. And this is giving the impression of right there in history. In, in 520, this is, this is going to take place. Uh, I mean, and you have to decide that. I mean, you don't have to agree with that, but is that what he's saying? I mean, I don't even, I don't know. I'm just saying that might be the way of looking at it. And then in the NIV and in the English Standard Version, look at verse 23, it switches possibly and it says, on that day. It, now it says, on that day. Now, uh, a general reading of on that day it's like i'm about to and he says what he's going to do and then he says on that day he's referring to the day he does that which wouldn't make sense the the part of that is this is an eschatological phrase that taught that is used throughout the bible of a future day when it says on that day in the context you may be thinking it, it applies right here to that's all one package but there is room to take those verses and put them in two groups. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth, and this is going to be the result of the, cr the crumbling of the nations. And then on that day, in the future, he's going to do something else. And this on that day could be a future day that follows this. Like this could be, you know, 515, and this could be 510 B.C., for example. It's just going to, this is going to happen, and then this... Or else this could be, in the days of Zerubbabel, these things are going to happen because I'm setting the stage for, in the end times, I'm going to do this. So this could be contemporary, and this could be an eschatological verse. And you see the material we're working with. Those are all floating around in there. And it's good to look at each, you know, these are simultaneous events. This is going to take place, and this is going to follow. This is going to take place in 520. This is going to take place later on in history, maybe even eschatological. And all those are possible. What you have to do probably is take Haggai and compare it to the rest of Scripture, although this is a unique message. Does it overlap in other places? Uh, and especially when you get into Zechariah, because Zechariah is going to be spoken. We're going to start that next week, and Zechariah will be spoken at the same time, 520. These are coming together these these prophets are speaking at the same time getting the work done so with that uh let's look at page one uh, i think everything we've said uh, uh, on page one we've already said uh i broke those down uh and now this fourth message it concerns this fourth message concerns zerubbabel and i point right there uh it concerns Zerubbabel what God is going to do on the earth and the heavens. He's going to do something on the earth and heavens. And then also what God is going to do 
through Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Is that correct? Is that spelled close enough? Now, let's go to this next verse. Turn the page, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And here he says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And now again, this sounds eschatological. We've already seen it uh, in Hebrews. When we took that out of chapter 2, you go back to chapter 2. Is it verse 6 and 7 here? Yeah. Go back to uh, uh, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. This is the message on October 17th. Uh, when he was saying, it, you know, it looks small in your eyes, don't consider it as nothing. He says in verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. So in a little while, what's that mean? Once more, meaning I did it before, I'm going to now do it again. Now when, when was it before? When he shook the Assyrian Empire with Babylon, when he flooded the earth? What was that once before? And again, the writer of Hebrews picks it up also, says uh, he shook the earth once before. That was probably talking about when he came down on Mount Sinai and gave him a law. Well, once more, he's going to shake the earth. But this next time, the writer of Hebrews, using this verse, he's going to shake it of all the temporal things that the only thing left will be the eternal. Uh, but he says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. So that's talking about probably an eschatological event where he's going to shake it. And that's the way the writer of Hebrews picks up. Now, he begins a special message to Zerubbabel and says, the bottom of page one, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. And this shaking of the heavens and the earth, uh, I think, again, I'm going to speculate here. I like to think of that as a, a, a spiritual shaking, something that is not seen in the temporal world. It's going above to the rulers and authorities. It, it's the heavens and the earth, the ruling powers. He's shaking the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that kind of leads into when this is shaken, when he shakes things up here, even eschatologically, when the Lord returns, he talks about slaying uh, in the heavens. There's, there's going to be a battle in the heavens. Daniel, we saw it. And I think that could be what he's referring to here, shaking the heavens and the earth. That's in verse 21. Uh, I'm turning to the second page of the notes. And there's your uh, Hebrew text right there with the transliteration. Um. You can see right there, I've got shake heavens and earth. It's already in chapter 2, verse 6. Cosmic, heavenly shaking results in events and the upheaval on the earth. So when things take place in the spiritual, when things are shaken in the heaven, there's going to be an effect in the temporal world. Tem temporal, oh boy, is there an O there? Temporal world that we live in. Uh, and, and we see this, we've talked about it several times, is the Lord says something, the angels do something, and then something physical happens on the earth. Like, you know, God says, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels go down, and then there's an air burst that, that buries the place. And, well, what was it? It was all three. It was the Lord speaking, this being shaken up spiritually, and you've got a temple result. Well, when you look uh, in point C, the word shake or ra'as means to quake, to shake. But in the next verse, the result is overthrow. And in the temporal world down here, the shaking up here results in 
overthrow. And here it is. It's verse 23, or excuse me, verse 22. Shaking in heaven and earth, verse 21. And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms, I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. Now there's several things in there. I mean, it just sounds like, oh, God's going to come down and destroy the armies. Uh, but first of all, the word overthrow means to turn around, to turn back, to overthrow. It's going to be now a resetting of the world. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. That's the word shake. And there'll be an overthrow, a turning around, a resetting of the nations. And it, again, it's, it's interesting to read this in 520, but it's also interesting now to step back and just look at what's going on in the world today. And first of all, realize, I mean, we, we know this, but we need to hear this. God's making it very clear that what's about to take place, I'm doing it. He's preemptively saying, what you're about to see, I'm doing it. And we can say, I, would, I think, and I, I, I believe this, uh, you know, and people would say, well, how do you know? Well, because that's the way the world works, is what you see happening in the United States, what you see happening around the world, you take this and overlay it with what you see here. God has shaken the heavens and the earth, and you see it resetting and overturning of what's going on. And it's like, you... We, we need to be wise citizens. We need to be wise people. We need to, you know, be responsible. But when all this stuff starts to happen, it, it's not going to necessarily get settled at the ballot box or, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, the midterms are coming up and we're going to fix stuff. You're only going to fix stuff if the Lord is done shaking and He wants you to get things set. Otherwise, it's going to just keep shaking. The, the overturning, it may not be done because God may have made a choice. Now, that's me making an application to where we're at today in history. But just remember, what you see happening, it's not because this person is doing it. The person that is doing it, if this model is correct, you've got this person in a government position or in some office, and they're doing this thing. That is a direct result of the pressure they're receiving from the society that they are in, which is shaking up and being overturned because God is shaking up the rulers and authorities in heavenly places because God himself, the Lord, is responding in some kind of judgment because of what he saw take place down here. So how we behave causes the Lord to respond, shakes up the, the powers that be in the heavens, which have an effect in society, which leads to this individual doing this thing, say, we got to get rid of this guy. Well, You've got a society that produced this guy, but the society was controlled by the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, and they're only moving because the Lord said so, but the Lord is responding to what that society needs. It, it, you know what I'm saying? It's not just this simple. You watch the news. We just got to fix this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This goes all the way up the ladder before. It goes into the area of faith. It's like, well, we don't even believe in angels and rulers. and We don't even believe in God. Right, so you're never going to figure this out because you're never going to tie this individual back to the fact that God is judging your society because how does that make sense? Well, in this case, it does. Um, and so, uh, as we read through this again, to overthrow the, the throne of kingdoms, and that's an interesting phrase because it said the kingdoms is plural, the thrones is singular. 
the throne of kingdoms, which means, again, basically the same thing, but the, the thrones in the kingdoms or the throne of each kingdom will be overthrown. But watch as we read through this in the English Standard. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms. Now, how is this taking place down here in time? The thrones are going to be overthrown. The throne in each of the kingdoms. So each kingdom that God has allowed to be established or has established, there's leadership in each kingdom. So there's kingdoms and a throne in each kingdom. He says, I'm about to overthrow the throne and kingdoms, and now I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations. How? And overthrow the chariots and their riders. So the, the nations, the power, will be, we'll say, military. Military. The horses and the riders. This is the security. This is what makes the nation secure. They've got borders. They've got military. Okay, we're secure. God says, I am going to overthrow the military to get the thrones overthrown. But watch this. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders. And the horses and the riders shall go down. But how do the horses and riders, how does your national military go down? Everyone by the sword of his brother. It's not nation fighting nation. He's going to cause an upheaval because the military is going to get wiped out or confused or overthrown by their brothers. In other words, civil war, civil unrest, political parties fighting each other are going to undermine... This is fourth generation material. When, you're, when the elite are trying to take control, the elite will fight against their own people to try and drive, for example, the middle class into poverty so they've got power. Well, the military that's on the side of the middle class will fight back against the elite, and now they've got civil war, civil unrest, and they are undermining their own security, which makes their military weak, which is going to overthrow the thrones that are trying to control the situation. It, it's, it's the fourth cycle of discipline. They're going to eat themselves. And that's going to happen in kingdoms. It's not going to happen to just Persia. It's going to be Persia and Greece and Egypt. There's a huge resetting. There's going to be this chaos in the nations, in their society, civil war type material. And again, civil war doesn't have to be you know, the north versus the south shooting at each other. It can be like what we've got going on right now. Just, just political ploys against each other, one party against another. We have, you know, I, we can just say both parties, you know, the conservative, the left, the liberal, whatever, uh, trying to undermine. Now, I'm on one particular side, and I'd like to think that we're doing it the right way. But as the game, if this is actually in the fourth cycle, it's going both ways. Both sides are trying to undermine each other and without giving anybody, who, who would dare give someone credit from the other side, even say, well, that's a good idea. They, they would never do that. They're going to come against it because they want the power. Well, that's civil unrest and that's going to end up destroying the security. It's described as military, but security can be the borders. It can be the, the e economy. It can be uh, international relationships. It's all going to come down, and these thrones are going to be upset. Now, if this is what is being said, we can say definitely, we know, we can show in the Bible, this is what's going to happen in the end times. The nations are going to be overthrown. 
but it's and again they're going to go through a series of events but there's definitely at that point there is the the return of the lord the second coming is going to come and he will overthrow they will fight against jesus christ the messiah and he'll overthrow them and set up his kingdom on the earth uh so that could be talking about a prophecy in the future uh it seems like and i I, and again you can read it that way it seems to me this is like it says in english standard i'm about to it seems to be more immediate that's why he's talking to zerubbabel in 520 on this particular day build the temple don't think it's too small something good is going to happen i'm going to bless judah you're about to be blessed or blessing starts now now zerubbabel here's what's going to happen through you because of you i am going to shake the heavens and the earth i'm going to start realigning the nations and they're going to have civil unrest they're going to overthrow their own brothers are going to overthrow their own military and the thrones are going to be changed now that does not apply to judah judah is being built judah is becoming a nation so in this case right here what god did to israel he rose up the babylonians and undermined israel and sent them into captivity he's now going to bring israel back or judah back he's going to build them up they finally are they're obedient they're listening and now that you're back in place i've got to rearrange all the nations i'm going to shake these things up you just watch you can watch this i'm doing this because you're here in judah zerubbabel doing these things now i think that's kind of the idea here you can look at this eschatological or you can look at this as something taking place in 520 and into the next few decades as god's realigning things and our map should show something like this there in 520 as time goes through here comes uh the greeks after the greeks comes the romans and things are being aligned to get ready for the next events you can see there's going to be things taking place in greece there's going to be wars there's going to be egypt all these power places are being changed um and 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 yet judah is growing and by the time they they get past into the greek period say you know 165 150 120 israel has become a nation with international peace treaties themselves an independent nation and that's another story and that's where this is heading uh uh, point two at the bottom of page two it appears yahweh is telling zerubbabel that he is going to punish and overthrow wicked uh, the wicked thrones and leadership of the nations point three on page three and i write this is the lord talking about the present time 520 bc of overthrowing persia egypt and greece i think so but it's a is that what he's because it doesn't say i mean you, where are you going to go with it you understand the problem it's just kind of hanging there you may have an opinion i've got an opinion i think it's immediately in the future there or is the lord speaking of an eschatological event when the nations are overthrown and god establishes his throne on earth point four after overthrow the thrones of the kingdom comes the phrase destroy the strength of the kingdoms and there i write down these things a apparently in civil war by the sword of the brothers this leaves these nations defenseless the shaking of the heavens causes events on earth that create internal and civil chaos within the culture of these nations and I would say that point C would, would, is, a, I think, is something very serious that we should consider is taking place. God is realigning history, maybe for the end times, maybe for the next cycle of history. But God is shaking the heavens and the earth, and we're seeing civil unrest, civil war all across the nation. And since things are being reset, 
and God is in control. God's not like, oh my gosh, I've lost. Jesus, hurry and get back. I've lost control. Now, that's not the point. It, everything is under control all the way up to the time Jesus comes back. That's why he can write about, tell you, this is what's going to happen. So if, we're, if the reset is taking place, whatever's t- happening, if we're heading to a time of peace, God is in charge of it. God is creating that he's the sovereign Lord. Um, then point D, the Lord is preemptively taking credit for the chaos about to be unleashed on the earth. He's telling Judah, watch, this is what's going to happen. You, you're going to be fine. I'm establishing you, but watch what's taking place. I'm doing this. Now, verse 23, it presents another whole, you understand, that, that's that first part. That's the heavens and earth are being shaken. The, na- the thrones are going to be overthrown. And it's going to be the military gets weak and it's by the hands of the brothers. And see how I kind of built that out of that. Now again, you read the text. You hear what I say. Did I say more than I should have? Did I read into it too much? Uh, then go back and look at it. But that's, that's what's going to take place. I will. It's about to take place. Now we go to the next verse, which is, is connected to it. You know, people like the big phrase, they always say at meetings now, uh, I'd like to piggyback on that thought, you know, like that. They always say that. It's like, it sounded cool the first time, but after 20 years of piggybacking on ideas, it's like, but it's like, is this next verse kind of, here's what's going to take place to the nations, and I'm going to do this next or along with that, or is this eschatological? But here's what it says. It begins, on that day, and that is a, a, a technical phrase, eschatological, or at least in a future day. Or in our case, right here, in the context, on that day, what day? The day I just got done talking about, the day I'm shaking the heavens and earth. It could go in, any three of those. Right there that day, in the future sometime, or in the eschatological future. But anyway, on that day, declares Yahweh of hosts. Again, that's key. Yahweh of hosts, the host being referring to the armies. He's the commander of the armies, and the armies are the heavenly armies. So Yahweh of the armies, that's the powers he's shaking. He says, very important, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. So Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, did I get all the letters in there? Zerubbabel, my servant, and these are all key words, servant, uh, the son of Shatil, David's line, in the line of Shatil, declares the Lord, or Yahweh, and make you like a signet ring. Now, we're going to have a couple opinions on this signet ring. You're going to be, Zerubbabel is a servant of God. He's from the line of David. He's going to be made like a signet ring. And I'm going to show you two things that this could refer to, and maybe both at the same time. For I have chosen you. I have chosen you, and then once again says, declares the Lord of hosts. And you can see right there in that verse 23, declares the Lord of hosts declares the Lord, declares the Lord of hosts. So this is the Lord declaring that Zerubbabel, you're my servant, you're from the line of David, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. Why? Because I have chosen you. You're, you're going to do this, Zerubbabel. And uh, 
if you look right there, the next verse, it's not there. That's the end of the book. It's like chapter 2, verse 23. In the NIV, on that day declares the Lord Almighty, I will make you my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And that's, that verse is right there beside, in the same message as what we just talked about, but that kind of stands alone. What, what is he talking about? And this is a man. This is a real man. This is Zerubbabel. And why is he telling Zerubbabel this? Is he telling Zerubbabel this so Zerubbabel knows the distant future? Is he telling Zerubbabel this so that Zerubbabel knows that he's got to just continue to do the work that he's assigning because what Zerubbabel does, God is backing it because God is doing a work and Zerubbabel, you're the one I'm working through right now. Or is he saying it to Zerubbabel? It's very personal. But will the other people know this and they will know because Zerubbabel is the servant, David's line, a signet ring, and he's chosen... God is with us. We can keep moving. So is this for the people? Is it for Zerubbabel? Is it for the future? And here we go. Here's what we've got. Page 3, number 1. On that day, you can see it in the Hebrew. You can see it there and above. Bayom hahu is a phrase most common, common to prophecy concerning a time in the future. Now, it's, it's commonly in the future. Now, future can be like next year, or it can be eschatological sometimes point a sometimes it's a historical event isaiah 4 2 7 21 i've got examples sometimes it's an eschatological verse like isaiah 2 2 in that day on that day jerusalem will be raised up above the mountains well that's clearly an eschatological reference it's not someday in the future i'm going to raise it up when jesus sets up his kingdom jerusalem will be raised up so there when we say on that day it's future like going to happen when the the assyrians get here and overthrow israel or it's going to happen in the distant future number two this could be a definite a different time than the previous verse i'm about to or it could be just an overlap again i've said that already now point three i will take you O zerubbabel this refers to the lord taking zerubbabel for a specific person so before this he even says right here i forgot to add this i will take you i'm going to take you and he's got a purpose. And especially it's confirmed with, he says, my servant. Whenever he takes someone, whenever God takes someone and calls him a servant, it is for a purpose. It is for God's purpose. God is going to, uh, I'm going to take Cyrus. I'm going to use Cyrus and the people are coming back. Again, uh, examples of servants would be Abraham. I got it written down here. Moses, David are all called servants, including uh, Nebuchadnezzar so it's not like they've got like this they could have a close relationship with the Lord or they could just be something God is choosing like he chose uh, uh, Balaam's donkey to use Balaam's donkey he chose someone that doesn't even know he's being chosen I, you are but Zerubbabel in this case is being told I am taking you and you're my servant which means Zerubbabel you have a purpose now again we could make an application this is true for everybody's life God's chosen you for a purpose and we could go down that, but keeping this in the context is what, what is this purpose and why is he being told? Uh, doesn't everybody have a purpose? Well, some of these things may come up here later. Uh, so he's definitely got a purpose. Number four, uh, is Zerubbabel taken and a servant because he is in the line of David? It does say that, and we're going to come back to this. 
Uh, and we'll probably end with this because, as you can see, the last verse we're going to look at is in Jeremiah chapter 22. And that's where uh, Jehoiakim and uh, Jehoiachin are told, I- I'm done with you. I'm done with the line of David from this particular branch. He's got to go back and he'll start again with somebody else in the line of David uh, because they become so corrupt. And we'll read that verse. So this does have definite overtones to the line of David. And it could be that he's saying that the Persians have put you in charge when you came back. The Persians put you in charge, but the whole time the Persians put you in charge, I'm the one that's basically restoring the line of David because that promise of David isn't going to go away. So he could be reaffirming the, what, he, what Jeremiah records as being lost or set aside. God is saying, we're going to pick it up right here again. And that's, that's definitely got something to do with it, I would think. Uh, and again, is he being taken and is a servant because of David? Or is it he's the current leader of Judah in 520 and is going to be used to establish Judah? And I think that's true also is the purpose, if we put this in context, the, the contemporary context, I've chosen you, I've taken you, you are my servant for a purpose. What's the purpose? To establish Judah. Just like build the temple, Zerubbabel, you are here to establish Judah. It's like, I don't know if I can do it. Well, it's God's plan, it's God's purpose. He's taken you, you're the servant, he's chosen you. Uh, he's just telling you what he's going to do. You're going to establish Judah. Just as surely as the nations are going to be shaken, Judah's going to be established. So if we're going to put these two verses together, these two sections together, the nations are going to be realigned, but Zerubbabel, you have been chosen. You are my servant. I'm going to accomplish my... It can't fail. Just like I'm going to shake the nations, I'm establishing Judah. And that could be, a, that could be the simple ending message. The nations are going to be realigned because I'm doing a restoration of Judah and Zerubbabel, I've chosen you to do it. It's like, I don't know, I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. Just do what you're... I'm going to do this through you. Uh, And then, interesting, I'll read the whole verse, verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I'll make you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shatil, declares the Lord. Here's the key. And make you like a signet ring. And that's really all the things that we're talking about, the taking, the servant, the, the being chosen, the line of David. I'll make you like a signet ring. And uh, I have uh, several. I've got some. This is an, an old Roman, from this is probably 500 A.D. Roman signet ring. I just wore it just to say I've got it. And what they would do, the owner would press his signature. They'd got some symbols on it. And they'd press it into clay or, or wax or something to leave their signature. They could seal a document. I've got some stone uh, seals uh, from the Old Testament time that would be, they'd have like a stone that has a hole through them where you could put like a piece of wire and wear it like a ring. And then you could take the stone, that the, the side that's got the engraving on it, you could take and flip that stone against the skin and all you'd have is like a stone ring but when it came time to seal something, you could take it off, flip it around, and then seal a document, and then flip it back around and wear it like a ring. And I've got a, a couple of those. And those are like, when you find the bula, we talk about bula being pressed into the clay, there would have been a signet ring that the king had that he could use. Now, there's two things about a signet ring. And I'll read you some verses here and examples. That's why I've got two things about the signet ring. Because he says, I will make you like a signet ring. Okay, 
Well, the signet ring would be, in one case, if this was my signet ring, uh, you think of like a credit card, you think of like, you know, something you keep with you. Uh, this would be always with me. Whenever I go somewhere, I would have my signet ring because I could sign something. And once I have it, it has the ability to take my name and put it on something. Like I could purchase something. I could seal something. And now my name is on that document. I've sealed it. So if this is me, this is my signet ring. This signet ring is important to me because wherever I go, I can leave my mark. This, I would never want to lose this or leave it behind. I've always, I'm using this right here. So he could be saying, I've taken you. You're my servant. He's got a purpose. From the line of David, I've chosen you. In fact, you're like a signet ring. Wherever I go, Zerubbabel, you're on my hand because whenever I want to do something with my purpose, we need some, some timber from Lebanon or from Phoenicia. I just bought it. We need to get this organized. Get this organized. Here, there's my decree. Zerubbabel, you are like a sign. When I want something done, you're the one I use to sign it. You're going you're gonna to be the one. You and me are inseparable. And for the people to hear that, if this is Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel is the Lord's signet ring, who, if Zerubbabel is there, who's with them? The Lord is there. And so if you've got the signet ring, guess who else you've got? You've got the Lord. So Zerubbabel would be like the representation of the Lord's presence. And whenever they want something done to fulfill God's purpose, Zerubbabel, I'll sign it. He's got it done. He's like a signet ring. Uh, the other would be the king. And I'll show you a couple places. We'll look at Esther because it's, it's, it's in the same land. Esther's right here around 485. So we're within 40 years of Esther. But the king... In fact, uh, right here, Xerxes uh, is going to, in these verses, he's actually going to take his signet ring off and give it first to Haman. And then when Haman is blown, uh, Xerxes takes the ring and gives it to, uh, I want to say Malachi, uh, Mordecai. Uh, and And I'll show you those verses. So now, Zerubbabel would be like a signet ring, meaning... I have given you the ring, you're the ring, and now you have the authority. And so if we go over here, turn the page. And again, this is the, this is the crux of the message. God's going to shake the heavens and earth. The nations are going to be reset. And Zerubbabel, you're my signet ring. I've chosen you. Now, on the back page, I've got uh, page four at the top. A signet ring had royal authority. It could be worn and used by the king or assigned to an individual. Uh, Genesis 41 is an example. Esther 3.10. I'm going to just flip over there to Esther and, and read this. And you know the story. Uh, Haman is going to uh, want to do something against the Jews. So I'm just going to jump in here in 3.10. Uh, I'll begin in verse 8. I said 10, but I'll begin in verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, right here, talking to Xerxes right here, Esther's husband, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all the other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. We can't tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. 
So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamathadatha, the Agite, Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then he, he was in the next part there, it says, They wrote out the script of each province and the language of each of the people of Haman's orders, and then he would have sealed it with the ring. Now, as the story goes, he's exposed as coming against Esther's people. And now we go to chapter 8, verse 9. And uh, now the king Xerxes completely switches directions. Uh, in fact, the gallows that was made to hang uh, Mordecai on end up where Haman hangs, is hung himself. But in chapter 8, verse 9, uh, at once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month of the month of Sivan. Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews. So now Mordecai's writing stuff down. And to the satraps and governors and nobles of 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. That's from the east all the way through the Middle East down to Egypt to southern Egypt. These orders were written in the script of each province. So each language had their own document and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes. Mordecai is writing these documents for King Xerxes. Uh, Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. Now, that's huge because the Persian, I've got a map of it, I've handed it out before. The Persians had a, a they're the original Pony Express. They had a royal route running all the way, I don't, I'm looking for a map here, all the way across. In a, in just a matter of days, as fast as a horse could run, they would they'd put couriers on it and they'd have stations where horses would be waiting, couriers could take places, and they could run a message. It's like, how long would it take to get there? You could go, I mean, I can't tell you, I, I knew off at one point it's on a map I created, but it's a matter of days. It's not months. It'd take months to take a caravan across there, but you could go, it's, I don't know, it's, I was trying to say something funny, like it's probably faster than, you know, the postal service or something, I don't know. But, okay, it's probably faster than some of the shipping. My son, Zach, left Taiwan in uh, June and uh, had all of his boxes boxed up. And it is now August, and he doesn't know where the boxes are. So he shipped, like, all of his stuff, put them in, like, five boxes and shipped them. And they're coming to our house. He was hoping they'd be there sometime in July so he could take them down with him to Kansas. He said, are my boxes there? No. Where are my boxes? He can't find his boxes. And so someday we're going to get boxes from Taiwan. Now, if that was in that Pony Express, they would have been here except the trouble with the, the ocean. Okay. Uh, but anyway, you can see Mordecai using the signal ring. So the example would be uh, that first one is if just like Mordecai had Xerxes. And we're talking Xerxes, uh, the king of the Persian Empire. Uh, and messages were sent to 127 provinces in their own languages from India all the way across the Middle East. I mean, that's Mordecai. What kind of authority did he have with that ring? Well, Zerubbabel would be that signet ring. Or the next example, point B, a signet ring could be a symbol of a close relationship between the ring and the owner. The owner's own name could be left by the ring and the 
the authority secured. In this case, the Lord is wearing Zerubbabel as a ring, and wherever Zerubbabel is, the Lord and his name are also there, which would maybe be the message of encouragement for Zerubbabel and the people, that you are like a signet ring to me. Wherever I have that ring, I'm putting my name. So he's put his name with Zerubbabel, and whatever you touch, you're going to prosper. You're going to get my will done. How much of a contrast is to the other nations. The other nations are going to be shaken, and they're going to have civil war and chaos. But Zerubbabel, you're my ring. I'm just going to keep signing documents, and it's all going to come together. Um, The last thing as we look at this tonight, uh, Jeremiah 22, 24. Now, this would be... uh, be, oh, let's say, I'm trying to think what, what year, year this would be. It would be, you know, 605. May, oh, no, no, it, it's, it's Jehoiakim. So it would be 597. It's 597. Yeah, let's say, yeah, 597, Jehoiakim had rebelled. So 597. 598, right in that time period. Uh, God is now saying through Jeremiah, uh, As I live, declares the Lord, Though Coniah, son of Jehoiakim, and Coniah would be Jehoiachin. And in 597, Jehoiachin, or Coniah, had been king for three months because his father, Jehoiakim, had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and had died. There's famine and then an invasion. And Jerusalem is going to fall to Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to burn it. He's just going to take control of it. And Jehoiachin is going to be on the throne. The son of Jehoiakim, who's the son of Josiah. And Jehoiachin is taken captive to Babylon. Uh, and while he's in captivity, that's where Zerubbabel comes from. He's going to have a son who's going to have uh, Zerubbabel. And we talked about that. It could be an uncle who had him for his, uh, his brother. Anyway, God says in 598 B.C., in that time frame, uh, Though Coniah, or Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even though he were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life. If you were this ring, and this is what I signed documents with, if it were you, I would take it and give it to somebody. You do what you want with it. I don't even want it. Now, what's being said right here to Zerubbabel, you can see, is almost like a reversal of that very powerful statement. God is saying, if you were a ring, I'd take it off my finger and just give it away. Now he's saying to Zerubbabel, you know what you're like? You're like a signet ring. And I'll do whatever I want to do with you because you're going to do my will because I've chosen you, you're my servant, uh, I've taken you. Uh, and it goes on, Yet I tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country. And that's what he did. Sent him into Babylonian captivity. I mean, in 597, Jehoiachin goes uh, 11 years before the, ca- the actual fall of Jerusalem. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. And then he goes, he's got a little poetry right there. And so it appears as the book of uh, uh, Haggai comes to a close, God seems to be taking, at least at this point right here, uh, reestablishing the line of David. I mean, it's not just a random person 
this person is a descendant of uh, the line of David through Jehoiachin. Uh, and he's going to be used by God for these important things. And you can see, I'll go one more thing. We'll go over to Matthew and I'll quit. Matthew chapter 1, I think it's verse 12. And you can see right here, this is Jesus' genealogy. And some, some would say this projects all the way through eschatology because it's going to lead to the Messiah. And I, I, again, and that's true, but I'm not sure if that's what this is, verse is talking about. It would seem to me that this verse is talking about five, these verses, this talking to Zerubbabel, because it's in the book of Haggai, and it's all in 520, that the people of Judah are going to be blessed, the nations are going to be shaken and realigned, but Zerubbabel, you're like a signet ring, you're going to fulfill my purpose, you're just going to be signing documents, and I'm going to reestablish Judah, even as the nations are falling. Now, because he's in the line of David... Uh, we have this just it's nothing more than a genealogy chapter 1 of Matthew verse 12 it goes all the way starting with Abraham in verse 2 comes all the way through the Old Testament all the way through the Kings uh, verse 11 and Josiah the father of Jehoiah uh, Kim and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon after the exile to Babylon Jehoiah or that would be Jehoiah Chin was the father of Shatil and that's, you know, as you see, Shatil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and goes all the way down, just keep going until finally you get to verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, right here, what you see taking place is Jacob, the father of Joseph, but Joseph was not the father genetically of Jesus. So when this line was cursed and cut off back in Jeremiah, uh, this line never produced the Messiah because Joseph was not in Jesus' lineage. He was the son of God through Mary. Now he served as the legal father, but Mary, now you'd have to go back to Luke, and you know that story, through Mary was definitely related to Jesus genetically. And you go to Luke, you're going to get another genealogy uh, if you want to go there very, very quickly. Luke. And you're going to have some similar names, which you're going to have a definite break. Uh, it's chapter, uh, chapter 3. And uh, I'm just looking at this very quickly. Uh, look in verse 23 of chapter 3. And now this, it would, many people would say, this is Mary's genealogy. So Jesus is related to David, not through his father Joseph, obviously, although Joseph was his legal father. That was cut off with Jehoiakim. Verse 23 of chapter 3. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, now watch this, so it was thought of Joseph the son of Halil, son of... It goes all the way through. And now get down to verse 27. The son of Johanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil. Now watch, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi. And now all of a sudden you've got a, a, a switch right here. And this goes up through... Uh, go to verse 31. And notice, 
All those kings are not there. Verse 31, the son of Meli, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Whoa, where's Solomon? See, Solomon's in Joseph's line, but that was cut off with Jehoiakim. But now David had another son named Nathan, and so the, the Messiah is going to come through Nathan, or come through David, we think through Solomon and all the kings, but because the kings became so wicked, God says, nope, backed all the way up to David, chose another son, Nathan, and now you get another genealogy, and it doesn't say this was, uh, you know, it was th- thought to be the son of Joseph. This, many would say, is Mary's genealogy. And so Jesus is related to genetically to David through Nathan through Mary uh, which is interesting and so that's where we're going to leave that right there and we'll pick up the book of Zechariah the main point tonight was uh, the bo- in the book of Haggai God says build the temple in the first message they obeyed God says don't be discouraged because it's going to amount to something and then he tells them because you're obe- being obedient I'm going to bless you and here he tells them uh, the nations are going to be shaken but Zerubbabel is like a signet ring on my finger. Whatever he signs, we're going to get it done because he's going to do my purpose. And I think the focus there is 520 and that time period that Haggai is writing. Again, it could have obviously some eschatological uh, ramifications, clearly, because of uh, where he's at. But I think the signet ring is right there in history. Again, that's all debatable. We're working with just those, those four verses there. Uh, Okay, I'll pray, and we'll start the book of Zechariah next week, and we're going to have the same year. The same year, just another person talking, which is going to be interesting. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We do ask that we would hear these things, apply them to our own lives, that we would gain a greater understanding of who Christ is and, and his glory and what he's doing in our own lives, that we, again, ourselves might be signet rings and be chosen vessels that will fulfill the purpose you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.